0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station.
1: The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas, powered by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one five G network.
0: Good morning. You're listening to the Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Now, one year ago today, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim became the tenth Prime Minister. PMX, as he is also known, cobbled a motley coalition under the Madani banner and against the odds survived to reach the first anniversary. But can the unity government hold until the next general election amid an increasingly dissatisfied electorate? We're going to take stock of Malaysia's political landscape with our panelists today, both no strangers to the political realm. We have Elizabeth Wong, former Selangor State Assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan, Central Committee member for PKR and current open water swimming athlete, as well as... Shahriel Hamdan, former Omno Information Chief, Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory, and also prominent podcaster. Elizabeth Shahriel, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. Now, I want to start off with the Merdeka Center's latest survey which indicates that the Prime Minister's approval rating has dropped from 68% satisfied in December 2022 to 50% this October. Elizabeth, what is your read of these findings? Where do you think Anwar Ibrahim is falling short in the eyes of the public? And how much of this is perception versus the reality of his achievements?
2: Okay, uh, morning Shazana, morning everybody. Well, first of all, I think uh, the Medica Centre review is very timely. Because I think it's important for the government to take stock what is happening out there, what people are thinking about the com- the, the government. But at the same time, you know, this kind of surveys, is very common to see, you know, any prime minister. I think we can look at Muhyiddin's numbers, we can look at Ismail Sabri's numbers. They started very high, usually. And, you know, after one year, it will eventually drop. Because I think people's expectations are, are very high at the beginning. They're usually very high, often, you know, a bit... Uh, too much. (laughs) So, you know, after one year, people kind of settle down in reality, quote, unquote. And I think this is a 50% for me is really good uh, for, you know, for year two. So this is something that perhaps the prime minister has to look seriously into and uh, see what he can do for the next three to four years uh, to improve his ratings. Shahil,
0: in a commentary back in August, you said that the Prime Minister should focus less on photo ops and antagonizing the opposition and instead emphasize on the reform agenda, specifically on the economy. I think the results of the survey seem to indicate that there is a lot of dissatisfaction on the pace of economic reforms. Do you think that uh, this is due to political expediency in that there is a need to show up political support before administering the economic therapies that may prove painful in the short term at least?
3: I think um, one is to, to begin with, one has to ask oneself, what is the expectation? If one expected that this was going to be a functional government with some green shoots of, um, of good things, then yes, he's done okay. But if expectations are a lot higher than that, and by the way, I think they are a lot higher than that in part because he really sold that expectations to be a lot higher than that. Then that begins to explain the fall in the popularity, and that begins to explain the dissatisfaction or, or, or the defeated expectations that people feel. Um, so to your question, is it a question? Uh, is it a matter of him having to shore up political support? I would contest the notion that political stability is in question, because I think look, he's got two thirds majority. Um, it may serve the narrative to say that oh, we're always on edge, we're always on edge, and that's why I give me more time. But in reality, the numbers are there. Mm. You've just had, what, four people who switch over to give support. I don't know. Maybe it's four and counting. Uh, You have a a situation in AMNO where one of the biggest rivals in the last decades is now your friend uh, and quite happy to be a second fiddle. You have partners in Pakatan Harapan who stay loyal and have never been in question. You have an opposition that, look, um, you know, for all their their luster in, in, in social media... Will not win over the middle ground and you know the listenership of BFM and others. What is there to be worried about? I'm 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 honestly like you know not so clear as to why there isn't as much uh, you know gusto okay, in the reforms. So,
0: so political stability is in the bag for Anwar Ibrahim. In my think. mind, it is. Elizabeth, for the next five years, do so? you agree with that? Do you think that uh, Anwar Ibrahim has managed to really build a cohesive unity government?
2: Well, Rome isn't built in a day or a year, so. Although, of course, I know what Cheryl said, it looks stable. You have the numbers, you have different parties uh, coming together. But let's all remember, this is the first time the different parties are working together. It's the first time Pakatan Harapan, Ka'adilan, DAP is sitting down on the same table with AMNO, uh, with parties, uh, you know, GPS, GRS, so on and so forth. So it's not... Exactly that easy. <clears throat> not as easy as people think. You know, it's like not coming to get. You know, coming together and you know holding hands doesn't work that way. So each party they've got different principles, competing interests. So I think for Anwar Ibrahim to come to get everyone together and agree on a certain agenda, it takes a certain skill. So I, I think his. If you look at what's been going on for the past one year, he's been trying his best, and I think after this one year, the next. Second, perhaps the second and third year, he it will he will find it a little bit easier. Consensus have you know has to be built between all parties. This is not a one man show. This is not a one party government. Uh, you know everyone has to come to the table on issues.
0: Elizabeth, where do you think the main fissures are in the Madani government coalition? Yeah, I mean, you coming from PKR within Pakatan Harapan, as you mentioned, uh, joining hands with once full Barisa National AMNO, uh, and with all the other component parties as well, especially from East Malaysia, where do you think are the pain points in this relationship that need to be nurtured and tended to uh, moving forward?
2: I think this the grassroots. I mean, until today, if you look at the different uh, political parties, the, their grassroots are still rather uncomfortable about working with each other. So you can have, uh, you know, the state elections or the by-elections that have been going on. You do see some cohesion. You do see a lot of um, uh, solidarity. You know, we do, we have are sending people to Kemaman, for example, uh, to assist in a campaign. But, you know, it takes time. As I said, one year is a very short time. I still remember when I was in XCO for the first time in 2008. After becoming government, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy working with uh, different political parties, uh, trying to, you know, impress the civil service and work with them. So it takes time. Uh, first year is always very, you know, bumpy. I, as I said. I am expecting great things in the next uh, 24 months or so.
0: Okay, so you have still have those high expectations uh, that began at the beginning yeah. of the year, perhaps. Shahriel, after GE15, you were against Amno joining the government. Uh, you stated that it would be better for the party to focus on rebuilding the Barisan National Coalition and internal reforms. One year later, I mean, UMNO seems to be doing pretty well, um, I guess, uh, combining with uh, PH. Is it? Uh, it? Kind mm. of the opposite of what you've advised? It's doing well? You don't think so?
3: How is it doing well?
0: Well, they've got their uh, they've got their seats in government. They've ah, got their seats. Yeah in-, yeah, in
3: that way, they're doing well. Okay, uh, they're doing very very well because they have power and they have a government position. And if that's what matters to them, then yeah, they're doing very well.
0: Okay, so you would agree that they have done well. But does this put the kibosh on any desire to reform or reset within UMNO? Does this mean that AMNO isn't going to change uh, as much as how perhaps some people have been expecting it given their rather dismal uh, results in recent elections?
3: Exactly. So that's exactly the point. The dismal results in um, in recent events. And um, for me, I think AMNO is happy to play second fiddle. Uh, they are quite pleased with the... Uh, positions that they've been given. That seems to be the rallying cry or the rallying call. Uh, the fact that they are in power or they are in government seems to be the end in and of itself. That's not the UMNO that I remember, uh, but I guess things change.
0: Hmm. So where do you think UMNO will go from here then? You see them as playing second fiddle. You don't see them going from strength to strength, I suppose. What exactly would torpedo their position at the moment from, I guess, your projections they
3: will always be relevant as a junior partner that gives the um, semblance of a Malay support, right? So they'll always be there, the way Amana is there. Um, so you're equating
0: AMNO with an Amana?
3: I think it's uh, it's similar. Both of them appear to play a similar function. Of course, AMNO always has a core uh, support base, not always. Someday, someday it might not be there anymore, but for now it still does uh, have that. Uh, It knows how to speak the Malay narrative, the Malay rhetoric, you know, so it appeals to that section. But um, I don't see AMNO inspiring um, people the way it was, uh, it wanted to at some point in the past. It's, it's there. It fills up the numbers. It shows that, look, uh, we have a Malay component party. We have Malay support. Never mind that the Malay support is less than 50%. Never mind that it's, it's, you know, we've lost that completely, uh, that, that front seat completely to Prikata National. That's not the point. The point is at least we are there. Uh, so someone told me that half of life is about showing up. So I guess that's what I'm no, I'm no helps with. Yeah? Well, good job.
2: But I want to jump you in at this do point. Elizabeth? Yeah, I think this is uh, democracy... De- maturing. Because in the past 60 years, we've only got one dominant party uh, ruling the state, uh, not the state, sorry, ruling the country for such a long time. So now, you know, with its hegemony being broken, or being, you know, weakened, so now you see different players coming, you know, to the party. And I think it's a good thing. It's good that there's no one dominant party in the Papadouan government. It's good that you have different parties have got different say uh, different influences and uh, as i said it takes time but i'm i like what's going on i don't like it if there's one party even our party leading or you know pushing things through
0: right but at what point elizabeth do you would i'm um, no, at- some point become a liability to Pakatan Harapan because what uh, Charil painted is that they are going to slowly lose the support of the Malay majority that they had claimed for for so they've long, right? It. Or they've lost it as uh, as the evidence can say. So, at what point will PH be seen to be in danger because they're propping up an
2: old power essentially? Well, if you look at different con- other countries, uh, how coalition parties work. At the end of the day, it's about who has the numbers and who, after general elections can form the government so why I, why i talk about maturity is because today we don't have to fall into the usual trap of saying that this is the traditional uh, party alliances that we are so used to that we have to keep going back to we can form new alliances after the next general elections for example and i think this is going to go on for some time and it's good for malaysia that no one party and you know after this can dominate the national narrative.
0: I'm speaking to Elizabeth Wong, former Selangor State Assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan, and Sharil Hamdan, Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory. After the break, we're going to discuss how the opposition has fared in the one-year post GE15, and how committed the Madani government is in leveling the political playing field. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.
1: You are listening to the Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network.
0: You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar, and today we're discussing a political review of one year under the premiership of Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim with Elizabeth Wong, former Slangwa State Assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan and Central Committee member of PKR, as well as Sharil Hamdan, former Omno Information Chief and Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory. Now, earlier we were talking about um, coalition politics and how Anwar Ibrahim has managed to maintain some sort of cohesion in the unity government. But I would say that one glaring failure is actually the inability to retain muda under its umbrella that the party departed from the unity government in september having run independently during the august state elections so elizabeth at the time you said that muda would end up on the wrong side of history with that move uh, in some ways that prophecy has come true but is there any acknowledgement on the part of ph that anwar and the leadership were less than gracious to an ally at the time i mean by all accounts muda were stonewalled from the
2: unity government discussions for the bulk of their time in the coalition I think it's quite unfortunate that that happened, um, and there's still I still believe that there's time to maybe you know extend an olive branch to not only Muda but also to all opposition parties. Uh, I think, as I said, Anwar Ibrahim can be quite magnanimous. He's very confident. He has the numbers. He has more than two thirds. Two thirds plus four at this point in time, or plus three, so. Uh, what does Anwar Ibrahim want to do? What does the Prime Minister want to do? He should be, you know, getting the support of the opposition uh, in order to make the economy more stable, uh, to perhaps bring different perspectives uh, in governing the country, and show to the whole country that he is able to lead everyone uh, without, you know, co- co- uh, co- uh, without forcing them uh, to do so. So Muda is is. One thing that I think we didn't do so well, uh, I'm very fond of Muda because uh, they're rebellious, and I see Kadilan a lot of Kadilan aspects in Muda. I mean, they were probably us 20, 20 years ago, mm. so they may go far in the future. I believe they do have a future.
0: You mentioned that Anwar Ibrahim should try to bring all parties to the table without coercion. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to bring in then the issue of constitu- constituency development funds, right? Because Shabriel mentioned the four Bersatu MPs that jumped over, uh, ostensibly to gain access for to the CDF funds. And... PH actually pledged to provide equal CDF funds to all MPs regardless of their party affiliation in the GE15 manifesto. So does it hurt the PM's credibility that he's not keeping to that word? And worse, that he's actually mirroring what Barca National did during their decades in power?
2: I think Anu Ibrahim is trying to find a middle ground to somehow you know, let them have the funds because it's the constituents' rights. To those funds, those funds are not for the political party or the MP. It's actually for the people, the voters in in those areas. So I think he's trying to find a way to give them without giving too much. So it's quite a, you know, quite a shaky kind of bridge to cross. So he's trying to hold on to that dominant control. Uh, well, I think he's trying to give them without getting, you know, other parties getting too upset with it, because if he doesn't give them those funds, then. Uh, you know, other parties can put in what we call coordinators in those parliamentary areas. They're not MPs, but they're coordinating that area. Uh, They can manage those funds, so on and so forth. But at the same time, if you look at some of the states, uh, like Penang, I believe uh, Kelantan, I think they are giving uh, equal constituency funds, equal amounts of constituency funds to both the opposition as well as the ruling party reps. So I think that's a Is a plus point. Uh, Some PH states are doing it. Uh, Some Papadran states are doing it. Some opposition states are doing it. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of time uh, for Anwar Ibrahim, the Prime Minister, uh, to do so. I think this is something that they have to do it eventually. They cannot keep delaying this any longer. And I think it will uh, garner quite a lot of goodwill from the opposition.
0: Um, I want to turn to the anti-hopping law because, Shireel, do you think the fact that the four Bersatu MPs could switch their allegiance to the government without falling fall of the anti-hopping law make a mockery of this legislation? And how how do you think the Prime Minister should navigate this? Should he amend the AHL to, I guess, eliminate this uh, loophole? Or are there other means of keeping MPs principled?
3: Mm, I haven't thought too deeply about it. Um, I have some reservations about making a party president so powerful. Um, May or may not be related by my own experience to my own (laughs) experience. So I I do like the idea of MPs having flexibility and, and, you know, standing up for themselves and what they believe in. If they simply parrot at all uh, moments, whatever the party wants, quote unquote, the party, which really means usually one person. Um, then maybe that's not the, the Westminster democracy that that we like, right? So that's a f- more philosophical argument. But maybe the, the point here is how do we ensure that whatever decisions that the MP makes is genuine, it's sincere, it's based on what he thinks he or she thinks is right for the constituency, for himself or herself, not through coercion. Mm. Uh, so that's the question mark, which, you know... Um, Um, I guess, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take Elizabeth's uh, word for it that there was no such coercion. I'll take their words for it that it was simply purely for the constituents.
0: Shariel, I'm curious if you have any theories or hypotheses on why Bersatu has been unable to keep its MPs in check and what that indicates about the the longevity of this party, which is ultimately a splinter of UMNO. Hmm,
3: But everyone's a splinter of UMNO, no? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, so I, I feel like the biggest asset actually that uh, Datuk Suryanua and Pakatan Harapan and um, BN I guess have at the moment is not so much their performance Though I will give credit you know, I, I don't want to come across like as if everything they do is wrong I think that's not right there's some many green shoots of uh, of positivity stuff around the economy, stuff around the NIMP, stuff around the green transition, uh, all of of that stuff, I think is really, really good. And hopefully the next few years is about implementation. The biggest asset they have though, is I think Prakatan National's inability to win the middle ground. Mm. Um, For as long as Pakatan Harapan manages to make elections about the economy, about competence, about your international image, they will always have the edge, is my is my sense. Mm. Speaking as a, you know, almost like an uh, armchair analyst now, right? Pre- but if Prakatan National manages to change the elections to be about race, religion, identity, politics, then it becomes something else. Mm. So I think that's the key here for, for, for people to think, over the next few years, are we able, or oh, is, Pak- <laughs> is Pakatan Arampan <laughs> able to, to really you know, make sure that the the terms of people's decision-making in terms of political support is around the economy. Even Mm. if the economy is not doing great, the sense is, if you look at on the ground, they will always say, I'd still rather have this group of people as opposed to the other. And until and unless Precata National either changes the terms of conversations or can prove that they have a solid economic plan, that they are they, they are ready enough at least to give an alternative budget. One of the biggest disappointments I had, like, how come there was no alternative budget? How come there was no real commentary around the budget or around uh, economic policy? They don't have that. And what they do have though is uh, let's cancel co-play. So you carry on with that. You shore up your core support. Brigada National, but you will never win the middle ground. And then, therefore, you will not win.
0: Okay. So, that's that's the advantage that PH has, Cheryl, you say. But, Elizabeth, I want to turn to you and ask about the concerns that PH supporters have about the Prime Minister's seemingly right-wing stance on a lot of issues that are close to PH supporters' hearts, right? They see... um, Anwar Ibrahim taking stances on issues that resonate with conservative voters. You know, there's his very pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian stance. There's this crackdown on LGBTQ elements. I mean, doesn't this come at the cost of the core support of PH supporters? Is he taking uh, PH supporters for granted?
2: I think at this point in time, uh, Anwar Ibrahim is trying to reach out to the Malay community, uh, and this is actually very consistent. Uh, even when we were in state government in Selangor, um, he always emphasised that whatever we do, we must uh, make sure that the Malay community uh, needs and wants are well taken care of. So if you look at Selangor, I just want to go back very quickly to Selangor, uh, the last 15 years or so, there's even there's always been an emphasis uh, that, you know, we make sure that the welfare programmes... Would reach the Malay community and of course everyone else in the state. So I think he's taking a leaf from the same book. Is perhaps uh, you know so the decisions made or sometimes it's not even his decision. Is decisions made by you know other government functionaries uh, somehow bounce onto him. Uh, you know, for example, this whole discussion about co-play. I, I thought he 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 responded quite well to it. Um, uh, as for being pro-Hamas, uh, Qaeda has never not been pro-Hamas. It's, they've been, you know, very pro-Palestinian struggle from uh, day one. So I, I think he, it's just him, you know, people seeing his position uh, in, a, in a bigger way. Well, oh, Shireel, I see you want to jump in.
3: Yeah, so I think uh, for me personally, let's separate the Palestinian question because I think that's that I, I really want that kind of hardline position across the political spectrum uh, in support of the Palestinian cause. Uh, but to your point, I think that was an interesting point you raised about this perception that he's pandering. So remember my last answer about the cha- changing the terms of conversation? I, 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 I wish he doesn't pander so much because I think by doing that, it allows for the chance that the conversation terms changes mm. to be about that ground. So why play in Prakata National's ground? When actually what people really want, I think, even the Malay, Malay electorate that, you know, supposedly doesn't support him as much as he wants. I think what they want to see is economic outcomes. He wants to, they want to see authenticity. They want to see him uh, push through with reforms. They want to see him do what he says. They want all of that as opposed to, I want to compete with Prikata National but who looks more Malay, who looks more Muslim. Politics has been too performative for too long. And Anwar Ibrahim is better than just being a performative prime minister.
2: Uh, I agree on that point. Uh, I think Anwar Ibrahim can definitely do a lot more. And it, the, it boils down to the economy. Whatever it is, it's the economy. If he can deliver on the economy, he, he can make the lives of the communities, the Malay community, as well as the rest of Malaysia better than, say, one year ago. I think people will give him a second term.
0: Alright, on this extended edition of The Breakfast Grill, I'm speaking to Elizabeth Wong, Central Committee Member of PKR and Shahriel Hamdan, Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory. We'll come back after the 8.30am News Bulletin to do some crystal ball gazing on what's ahead for the Madani government. Uh, can they survive until GE16? We touched upon that. We'll dive into a little bit more. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.
1: You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network.
0: Good morning, you're listening to an extended edition of The Breakfast Girl. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me on the show today are Elizabeth Wong, former Selangor State Assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan and Central Committee Member of PKR and Shahriel Hamdan, former OMNO Information Chief and Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory. Now, earlier on in the conversation, we were talking about the strength of the coalition. We were talking about some of the priorities that the Anwar Ibrahim government seems to be looking at and, and where he really should put his focus on, which is the economy, as both of you have agreed on. I do want to look at an issue related to I I think the worrying trend towards a restriction of rights and freedoms and I think we have seen the Madadi government go back on pledges to abolish draconian laws they're proposing uh, constitutional amendments to citizenship laws that can call into question the empathy and humanity of the administration I mean, Elizabeth, how is PH rationalizing these moves that go against
2: your manifesto pledge essentially? Well I doubt all of PH agree You know, what's uh, some of the things that have been proposed? And you can see that actually in Parliament, where, um, you know, component party members are speaking up against that. Uh, There are also people who are not happy about it in the party, my party. And of course, we are expressing those concerns to the relevant ministers. Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, we feel that we need to have some kind of uh, monitoring or adherence committee uh, to what. Pakatan Harapan had promised its voters. But at the same time, bearing in mind that we're in a coalition government and certain things, perhaps, you know, we may have to give give way, maybe just a little bit, for this term and then work towards the next term. So, for example, uh, you mentioned about the, the constitutional amendments. Uh, I don't think many people are very happy about it and we're still debating this issue. Uh, so, I think that's something positive. You know, Anwar Ibrahim or... His minister cannot crunch through uh, some of these amendments as they used to be able to in the past. The ministers, uh, and he, as far as I've been informed, uh, they are still engaging on uh, issues of uh, you know uh, pertaining to that amendment specifically.
0: Cheryl, how much damage does this do to Anwar's reformist persona? I think the fact that he's seen to be backtracking on a lot of the uh, political rights that he previously espoused. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's personally that would be one of the biggest disappointments for me, um, because I think that has always been the distinctive um, factor about him and about the party that he represented. Even when I was on the other side, you know, I spoke about this on on, on the podcast, um, reflecting time with my uh, re- reflecting back on my time in politics. Uh, that was the standard. If you wanted to be a reformer, you want to be a reformist inside Bayesan National, you subconsciously knew Pakatan was the standard. Lah. At least what, what they said was the standard. Um, and since they've been in power, especially this time around, 2018, there's so many, you know, mitigating factors that you can point to. But this time around, uh, I think that's the biggest set of disappointments for me. Mm. Uh, that after after finally getting to the top position, Uh, on reforms that I think are not super politically sensitive. You know, for example, the constitutional amendments, my gut feel, and Elizabeth tell me if I'm wrong, my gut feel is that the resistance uh, to the more progressive type of reforms is probably in that case from within certain sections of the Home Ministry I don't see this being a politically explosive issue about giving stateless people rights. I don't think uh, you lose Malay votes from that. So that tells me that the desire, the genuine desire for reform is actually really in question.
0: Mm, Interesting, Mm. interesting to note that. Um, Elizabeth, how much introspection is there in the PH? cabinet in the BH camp about the shortcomings of the administration. Because I think we do see cabinet figures oftentimes seem rather defensive about actions that have been taken. This is par for course, but in a way, it's also a front for incompetence or complacency. I mean, how can they navigate that better, mm-hmm. I think, when it comes against criticism, right? Because yeah. as you said, expectations were sky high. They are going to come
2: up against a lot mm-hmm. of objections. Yeah, I have... My own very high expectations of the government as well. You know, for example, I expect them to be a lot more vocal on women's rights, for example, uh, human rights, as you mentioned earlier. So not just on you know the, the constitutional amendments, uh, citizenship, but also other issues, uh, freedom of, of expression, uh, you know, freedom of information. That those those are just some of the issues that we said we want to do, and now we're in a position to do so. I can't speak on behalf of the cabinet. I'm not there yet. Wow, <laughs> sorry. All right. I, just, I just have to. Right. Sorry, I just have to put it. In and I'm just joking. No, but at least within the party, there are a lot of uh, questions, a lot of debates, uh, you know, in the WhatsApp groups, for example. And and some people, at least from Kadilan, they are speaking out. They seem to be the odd one out. <laughs> but we do have MPs, uh, you know, putting out statements saying that this is not right. This is not what the government should do and the Prime Minister should be looking to this issue. So there is some uh, some leeway, some freedom for our party in Kadehlan to speak up against things that we feel are important to the people.
0: Okay, so at least in the back rooms, you are seeing a lot of debate come out and even Definitely. coming up to the front in some points.
3: Okay, can I just jump in of and course. say, you know, um, I, I empathise with that. I, I, I remember using that line many, many times, Elizabeth, and, <laughs> and I think if I can humbly suggest... Uh, don't back down on things you really believe in. That's one of my biggest regrets. And so I think, you know, if there is genuinely resistance, not resistance, love, but you know, dissent on things that matter in a matter of policy uh, and principle, I think if, if you and your colleagues can do more, that'd be great.
0: Okay, advice from one politician <laughs> to another, but I wanted to just maybe jump in on the point of cabinet you mentioned earlier Elizabeth. And Shahriel, do you think it's important for Anwar Ibrahim to reshuffle his cabinet after this one year mark, you know? And who do you think uh, would be the casualties uh, mm-hmm. if so in the current lineup?
3: Yeah, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to give names. Uh, but I've yeah, we I've been on record saying that I think uh, a reshuffle is necessary even though it's only been a year. Uh, there clearly is some, you know, underwhelmingness about some of the performance of the cabinet as a whole. Uh, there's some people who say that was because, you know, PM Anwar outshines everybody else. I think that's a lazy excuse. You have a situation where uh, certain portfolios that ought to be uh, things that people really talk about, that, 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 that people get inspired around, are not, are not performing as much as, as well as they should. Uh, he can figure out his politics whether it's just literally reshuffling people around to maybe portfolios that they are more suited to or better at, uh, or he wants to add more people in. That's that's his call. But I think um, one that is absolutely clear to me is uh, M O F too. Um, if he doesn't want to give up M O F, then just add another uh, minister of finance to to do the to do the work that is necessary uh, to do that doesn't burden um, a prime minister as well.
0: Okay. We have maybe about two or three minutes left. And I think I just want to maybe reflect on the current political environment because, Sharia, in a recent podcast episode, you said that the current political climate made being a politician untenable for you. You weren't interested in, in mm. I guess, the political landscape. And this was mentioned in the aftermath of Syed Cite Sadiq's conviction in the high court. I mean, can you elaborate on that? Why do you say that the current political situation just isn't attractive uh, for a young politician like yourself?
3: So I, I can only speak for myself. You know, I don't pretend to speak for the generation. Uh for me personally, it's not very attractive because of how toxic it is. Uh, I know f- even from my time in there what the opportunity. C-
0: but politics cost was. is toxic, right? In general. Um,
3: I think it's gotten worse. In my short time in politics, I think I will count myself more than ten years in some form, in a back room and then in front line, in, in, in junior positions and a slightly more senior later on. Uh, it's it's worsened. Um, when I started out, I think there was there was really. Um the kind, of tox- the kind of competition, the kind of debates we had were less toxic than now, less divisive, and extremely personal these days.:
0: I wonder if that was a function if that's a function of Barisa National and UMNO not being in the top seat as they were for so long. And Elizabeth, would you agree with that um, kind of assessment that politic- to- politics have become more toxic?
2: Politics has always been very toxic. That's my personal experience of 20 over years from backroom to being an elected rep and in the central committee. Uh, unfortunately, this is, of course, it doesn't spill outside know, to affect, say, your residents or your constituents. But at least it, within the party, I mean, um, as far as I know, it's always been like this. Mm. A lot of factions, a lot of factional you know, skirmishes, that kind of thing. I
3: guess the only difference is Elizabeth, I, I, I was hoping uh, that whatever toxicity and whatever costs we pay as individuals in politics. There's a payoff at the end. And the payoff is not personal glory. The payoff is that I get to do what I want in terms of policy. That I get to do what mm. I believe in. And what has happened in the last few years and this entire conversation... Is evidence against that, right? You struggle so much to get to the top. At the end, what do you do? Oh, I need to compromise. I need to take care of this guy. I need to make sure everybody supports me. I can't do what I really believe in. So, then the fundamental question becomes: Is it all worth it, or should I do something else in life? I don't know. You tell me. Maybe maybe I can have a career in BFM. This podcasting is doing okay. You know.
0: <laughs> I think you could tell us about that, but Elizabeth, I'm sure, I think you would take a different uh, perspective on that, perhaps. So, how what would you say to? Uh, I guess how is pakatan harapan thinking about ensuring that you know there's this continued pipeline of younger generation that wants to go into politics
2: well you know we have our youth wings uh, different parties including amno uh, so that's where they do their recruitment they get you know new uh, you know <laughs> fresh faces new ideas so that of course us being in government means that we have bigger access a much wider access to uh, new talents coming in so I, i'm not so really, you know, I'm not concerned or worried about in the future, what is going to happen. I'm more worried about the present. Uh, so, you know, I want to just go back to what we discussed earlier. It's about the economy. So I know Ibrahim and his team has to make sure that they can deliver on the economy, whatever means possible. Uh, it, if it means uh, reshuffling the cabinet, by all means do so. Bring in new play, uh, players, bring in new people, uh, and make sure that you deliver for next, you know,
0: two three years. All right, thank you very much, Elizabeth Shahril. I've been speaking to Elizabeth Wong, former Selangor State Assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan, and Central Committee member of PKR, and Sharil Hamdan, former Omno Info Chief and Managing Director of Watchtower Advisory. This has been the Breakfast Grill on BFM eighty nine point nine.
1: The BFM Breakfast Grill brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one five G network.